Good, good. You guys look great. You look like you survived the first week of school this week. Everybody get back to school good? Yeah, LaGrange, Noonan. Some of you go, I'm not in school anymore. I am so thankful for that, right? I'm so glad that you're here today. I want to welcome both of our campuses, our campus here at Noonan and our campus at LaGrange. I want both campuses. Can you give each other a big round of applause this morning? And if you're worshiping with us online through Facebook Live, I want to say welcome today. And before I start, I want to say this. I really sense that this morning in this service, there's somebody today that needs to hear this message. And I can't explain it. All I know is just to tell you what my heart feels. And my heart feels that there is probably somebody, maybe on Facebook Live, maybe at LaGrange, maybe here at Noonan, you are questioning God's love. You are questioning what God thinks about you. You are questioning whether or not God really is who he says he is. And I want to tell you today, I pray that your ears will perk up over the next 30 minutes because what we're going to talk about today is the greatest story of all time, the greatest story of all time. So we're in this series called This Is Us. This is us. So look at your neighbor real quick and say, this is us. Okay, just do that. Say, hey, this is us. He's, he's going to talk about us today, right? We're not talking about people outside this room, although we are going to talk about people outside this room, but we're going to talk about who we are as a church, as Southcrest Church. So let me say this. If you're visiting with us, if you're coming to check us out, if you're kind of new to the whole God thing, like the whole Christianity thing, I'm glad you're here today. You're going to learn so much about who God is, and you're going to learn a lot about who our church is. So we launched this series last week and we talked about this one key thought and the key thought was this. Every church has the same mission. It's the Great Commission. But each church has a unique vision. And at Southcrest, our vision is unique to who we are. Here's what it is. We are about reaching South Atlanta one relationship at a time through gospel, grace, growth, and generosity. If you split us open, if you cut us open for 17 years, that has been how we have organized ourselves around the Great Commission. Everything going back to the idea that God has called us to make disciples. He's not called us to make consumers. He's not called us to make even people who say, man, I love that place. I want to be a fan. We're not here to be fans. We're here to be followers of Jesus Christ. We're here to make a difference in our world. And our church for 17 years has been about that one thing. But when we start talking about that, we got to go a little bit deeper. Because we got to talk about what does it mean to reach South Atlanta, one relationship through the gospel. Through the gospel. See, when I was growing up, I thought gospel was a type of music. Right? I grew up in the heartland of Oklahoma. So anytime I heard a banjo or a violin, I thought, oh, they're going to play gospel again. That's what I thought. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up uh, people telling me, hey, the gospel is good news. Like when you talk about the gospel, you're talking about the love of God. When you talk about the gospel, you're talking about the fact that God loved you and me so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come live on this sin-filled world. and, And he was perfect and he died sinless. And then on the third day, he rose from a grave and came out victorious. And this idea of the gospel is so big, and yet many times we just act like, oh, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. But I want to say this to you today. The gospel is what the world needs. The gospel has the power to change the world. Look what Tim Keller said. He said it this way. The gospel is the dynamic for all heart change, life change, and social change. It is the dynamic for all heart change, life change, social change. 
You see, in our culture, we still as Americans think that if we elect somebody and put them in an office, it can change our culture and change our world. And we still think that somehow if we just had more money to distribute to each other, that it could change our world. Listen, we still think somehow that if we can get someone to accept someone in another way that they're not like them, that it, listen, all of that's great, but it's the gospel that changes hearts. You see, until we know how much God values us, then we will never value our brother. In fact, I want to make a statement today about what happened in Charlottesville yesterday. As your pastor, I strongly condemn the alt-right and the white supremacy movement that seems to say and believe that one life is more important than another life. Because let me tell you, folks, we don't have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. We have a sin problem. And the gospel, I'm so passionate today, I just can't stand it. The gospel is the one thing that will bring heart change. I know a lot of people, they're like, oh, well, we just need a social justice movement. No, here's what we need. We need the church to be on the gospel movement for God. The gospel has the power. Listen to what Paul said. He was speaking to the church at Rome. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. All who believe. You see, you're part of that all today. LaGrange, Noonan, Facebook, you're part of that all today. God wants to change you today, and he's going to change us through the gospel. We've got to understand what is the gospel Jesus was serious about this because at the end of the book of Mark in the Gospels, Mark recorded a statement that Jesus said in Mark 15, 16. Listen to what he said. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. 93 times, 93 times in the Bible we see the word gospel. What is God trying to say to us? Here's what he's trying to say. If you're going to change the world... It's not going to come through a social justice movement. It's going to come through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's why. The gospel is good news. It's good news. It's always amazing to me how people come to church because they want to hear about their bad news. I want to hear how bad I am so that I can compare myself to how good I am to somebody else. And I want to tell you, that's not what Jesus is about. Jesus wants you to know. In fact, he wants to bring you back to what he created you for. See, here's why the gospel's most important, okay? Because it helps me understand how does God view people. It helps me understand how does God view people. And more importantly, how does God view me? Like I said when I started today, there are people in this room, you are doubting the love of God. You have bought into some sort of a cultural, religious lie that says, I've got to continue to dress myself up. I've got to continue to put the makeup on of my good behavior. I've got to somehow find a way for God to love me and to get into his good graces. And let me say this to you as well. Apart from the gospel, we will never understand fully the grace of God. You see, grace and growth and generosity, they all flow out of the gospel. Many times we try to adapt God's grace to our situation and say, well, God gives me grace. But how do you ever understand the grace of God apart from the love of God? The love of God is the good news of Jesus Christ, that God came to this earth. So I want to ask you a question today. Have you ever lost something valuable? Really? 
like something really valuable. Like I remember the first time I lost my wedding ring, like I literally got physically ill, right? If you've been recently married, you know that fear of, oh my gosh, I forgot where I put my wedding ring at night. Have you ever really lost something really valuable? I did this little research this week to find out that people have a kind of a top 10 list of things that they lose continually. Now, how many of you are continually losing things like me? Okay. I have literally been known to walk through my house and say these words, where are my sunglasses? Where are my sunglasses? Where are my sunglasses? And Tracy will go, they're on your head, right? We lose things and things that are valuable. So look at these real quick. Number 10, you lose your cell phone, right? Thank God for find my iPhone, right? The next one, we lose our keys. Any chronic key losers here, right? Okay. The next one, we lose our wallet, okay? Which could be dangerous, especially if your teenager has a hold of it, okay? Uh, your parking spot. Oh, I heard a lot of grumbling there. Yeah, our parking spot. Well, what about this one? Our sunglasses. We lose those a lot. This next one, our chapstick. This is a continual thing, which is why the government should just buy everyone a stick and we should just all share it. I'm just teasing. <laughs> that could get weird, right? Your password. Oh, that is a terrible death to die right there, right? Because everyone has their favorite four passwords, and you can't remember if it's uppercase, lowercase, apperstance, you, you know. I hate it when they say you have to have a special character. I'm like, I'll show you special character. All right? Or the remote. Yes, yes, especially as college football approaches. A sock. Yeah, when you lose that one favorite sock. And then men, just be honest, you go ahead and wear it anyways. It's because it's your favorite sock. You're like, nobody will notice. And then, of course, your mind. The number one thing that people claim that they lose is, I'm about to lose my mind up in here, up in here. Okay, can I get an amen? Y'all with me today? All right. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Luke chapter 15. We all have things in life that we find valuable that we lose. And here's what I know about this. I've just made this observation. What we find valuable, we look for. And what we don't find valuable, we leave behind. If something's really valuable to you, have you ever left something in a, uh, a hotel, um, like a room or something? One time I left a suit coat. And it was valuable to me because of who gave it to me. And I remember calling them going, it's in room 513. It's in room 513. You have to ship it to me. You have to ship it to me. And then I can't tell you the amount of clothes I have left in hangers in hotel rooms that I literally went, oh, that was that shirt. It just really wasn't that important to me. Things that we find valuable, we look for. But things we don't find valuable, we leave behind. It could be an item. It could be a career. Some of you are in a career that you're not really excited about. It's not valuable to you. And you're like, you know, if something else happened, I would just do this or this or this. It, it, there's no value. And then sometimes relationships are this way, right? Sometimes you can be in a relationship and you go, you know what? That's just not that valuable to me. And the truth is there's all types of things in our life. Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story. It's a parable. And he tells three stories to make one point. He's talking to a specific group of people. In fact, most of the time when we read Luke 15, we skip past the first couple verses, but the jewel of what Jesus is really saying is found in the context of the people that he's talking to. In the Jewish culture, you either lived in shame or you lived in honor. As part of the Jewish culture, your job and your family and your relationships and the items that you held on to and the things you possessed 
either brought honor to your family and your name or it brought shame to your family and your name. And Jesus knew that. So when Jesus told this parable, he understood how Jewish people would think. In fact, look at verse 1. It tells us who was watching. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Look at the next verse. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now think of the context. Honor, shame. Jesus walks in and it says that these people were drawn to him. Who were these people? They were tax collectors. Now I know some of you, if you were here and you said, hey, I I want people to know what I do, but I don't go around shouting out that I work for the IRS. Well, a tax collector back then was more than just someone like we would think of an IRS worker. A tax collector was someone who went out and took taxes from people because the Jewish people were under Roman rule. And so when they would take taxes from people, it wasn't just like they were there to just collect the tax bill. Those people knew what they were taking taxes for. They were taking taxes so the Roman government could continue to oppress them. And they would literally walk into cities and see people crucified as they were walking into cities because that's what the Romans loved to do. So imagine when people look out and all of a sudden the very people that are funding and laundering the money to a bunch of killers known as the Romans are the people sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him talk. And then it says it was not only tax collectors, it says it was sinners. And we think of sinners as the person who uh, maybe did something bad and put it out on Facebook the night before church. No, no, no. The sinners were the sick and the lame and the prostitutes and the lowest class. They were the people that were marginalized and they were outcasts. And so when Jesus comes in, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all together around to hear Jesus. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. See, here's an observation we need to make today where the love of God is shared the most Outcast, profane, and destitute people are drawn to Jesus. That's my story. I wasn't drawn to Jesus because of a church. I was drawn to Jesus because of the love of God. Jesus is standing here and these people are coming and he's beginning to love on them and share with them and these outcast, profane, and destitute people are drawn to Jesus. It's an amazing picture when you think about it. But the Bible says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees began to mutter, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Who were these people, these Pharisees and teachers of the law? They were people who believed they were better than everyone else. Let me say this, the most religious person in this room could not live up to the standard of a Pharisee or a teacher of the law. Over 600 laws in Jewish law, and they were like, every single one of them I know. Every single one of them I'm striving to do. See the contrast there? But Jesus found value in these people, and what it really shows us, more than even what it shows us how much God loves us, it really shows us this, what God is really like. It shows us what God is really like. See, I meet a lot of people, especially people who consider themselves to be atheists. And they say to me all the time, they say, man, you know, I, I, I don't know if, if God, listen, God loves you. He cares for you. God knows and God sees. What is the heart of the Father really like? But look what Jesus says in verse 3. He begins to share this parable. 
Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Wow. He says, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What a beautiful story. I mean, Jesus just starts there. See, here's the thing about that when you read that. What it tells us is people matter to God. Because it would have been so shameful, remember, honor, shame, It would have been shameful for a Jewish shepherder to walk in and say, hey guys, there was a hundred and I lost one, but at least I got the 99 here. The culture would have looked at him and said, that is dishonorable because you let one leave and it was ravaged by the wolves. Let me tell you a question that you got to answer in your heart today. Who is God? He's the same God that would leave 99 to come after your one. That's who God is. It's who God is. People matter to God. People far from God matter to God. And the part I love about this is God notices even one. You see, I doubted God's love for most of my life. Until I was 17 and I realized the love of God was real. And what I realized is God loved even me. Some of you here today, you need to know that God loves you. He loved what was lost. He's not mad at what was lost. The Bible says that he went out into the field and he found it and he took the sheep and he stuck it over his shoulders. Here's what he didn't do. He didn't didn't come and, and tie it up by its legs and drag it in like you horrible, filthy, rotten, nasty sheep. He put it over his shoulder and he walked it in. And then he called his friends and he threw a party. That's the love of God. See, I think some of you here today, you're like that one sheep and you say, does God even care about me? I'm that one. Yes, God cares about you. And he's seeking after you today. Mm. Look at verse eight. He tells a second story. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And then look what it says. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. Now that's crazy, think about it. I have found my lost coin. And then it says in the same way, I tell you there's rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now we look at this and we go, hey, it was, it was pocket change. Okay, I don't know about you. We have a jar in our house. We put pocket change in. And when it gets to like a certain level, we go deposit it in our savings account. It's amazing over 26 years how many things it's paid for just because we take our loose change. And, and, and I don't know about you, but if you've ever cleaned out your couch, you like sometimes you go in there and you go, I hope I find a 20 spot in here, right? But this isn't the type of coin that he was talking about. You see, when you were a Jewish bride, you had 10 coins that went around your head. And those 10 coins were as representative as what a wedding ring would be for us today. 
And so that, that Jewish woman, she would have 10 coins. So imagine that there again, honor and shame, the honor and shame of showing up for your wedding or saying, Hey, this is the, this is the, the band that was given to me. And there's one coin missing. So what does she do? She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house and she searches for it until she finds it. God's saying, this is what I'm like. This is what I'm like. You see, God is a God who seeks people out. You're not here today because of random selection. You're sitting and hearing me speak today because God is seeking you out. And he's not seeking you out because he wants to punish you. He's seeking you out because he urgently loves you. It's overwhelming. See, Jesus goes on. He tells this third story about this relational brokenness between this father and this son. He says, there's this son, and this son goes to his father, and he says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance, which as a Jew would have been like going to your dad and saying, dad, forget about you. Give me my money. I'm gone. The father gives him his inheritance and he goes out and he squanders it on wealth and he ends up with pigs, which as a Jew, to be there with pigs is like the worst of the unclean of the unclean of the unclean. But he finds himself eating what the pigs are eating and then suddenly, the Bible says he comes to his right mind. What, What mind did he come to? He comes to his senses and I have to believe what he remembered was, I know I've screwed up. I know I've done a lot of things wrong. I know I don't have it all together, but my father loves me. Have you ever been there before? Where all you had left was the love of God. See, I think we struggle to love the least of these in our world because we don't understand the love of God. The Bible says that the son, he says, I'm gonna go back home because I know that my father still loves me. And he comes home, and I love this, this picture. He never makes it to the porch because his dad picks up his cloak. And as a Jewish man, all distinguished and honorable, did the most unhonorable thing. He picked up his cloak and he came running across the field to his son. He throws his arms around him. And here's what he says. I love you. You belong to me. He loves him. He restores him. He puts a robe back on him. He puts a ring on his finger calls his friends, my son came back, my son came back. And then the unthinkable happens. In the midst of the party, the older brother starts grumbling and he gets angry. Hey, dad, where was Johnny when I was taking care of your field? Hey, hey, dad, that, that son of yours that you're loving on because he was lost and now he's found a... a He didn't stay here and fix all this food. I did. You see, I've been a believer long enough to know that at times in our lives, we've all been like the older brother. We think that the church exists for us. Hey, 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 when are y'all gonna do that thing that I like? 
When are y'all going to sing the song that I want you to sing? When are you going to paint the walls the color that I want you to paint them? I mean, think about it. We are so freaking entitled in the American church. God has given us more than what we need. We have all this stuff. And many times, instead of seeing people like the father saw people, we see people through the eyes of the older brother. But that's not the gospel. I want to make a very profound statement to you today. We must decide. Are we going to be more about caring for the older brother or pursuing the lost son? Because I want to tell you, folks, the church doesn't exist for us. The church exists for the world. Thousands and thousands of lost people who don't know Jesus' love. I want to ask you in your life, are you going to be more about your older brother tendencies? Or are you going to take on the heart of the father and start seeing people like the father saw that son? I will come running toward you. I know my friends are going to make fun of me. I know my friends aren't going to understand when I say, hey, I can't hang out with you Thursday night because I'm going to go hang out with my gospel relationship because she needs to know that I love her and he needs to know that I love him. Look what the father says. This blows me away. Look at verse 32. He says, my son, the father said, you're always with me. In other words, what the father was saying is, I've already given you everything. You already have an inheritance. You already, I love you. Just because I love the lost son doesn't mean I don't love you. I'm always with you. And everything I have is yours. But look, at this is profound. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You see, if we know the heart of the Father, we will feel what the Father feels for those who are lost. If we truly have the heart of the Father, we're going to feel what God feels for people. But I want to tell you why I love this story so much. And if you're here today and you're checking out this whole God thing, Jesus thing, maybe you're here and you're just like super religious. And you're just like, man, I've spent my whole life trying to get God to love me. Because all religion is your attempt to get God to try to accept you. The day I gave my life to Jesus, I no longer had to be religious because I took on all of his righteousness. And my righteousness was like a filthy rag, but God's righteousness was perfect. If I know the heart of the Father, here's what I know, okay? God is not a fault finder. He's just a finder. Look at all three stories. Did you see the the sheep herder and the the woman with the coin and the, the father yelling at the, the person, that, the thing, the, the object that was lost. Now, here's what you see. As the story gets on, the search gets more and more and more intense. And what that ought to tell you is this. God's not looking at you saying, ah, there you go again. I found another fault in you. No, he's just a finder. I want to testify today. Jesus found me. I didn't find him. Jesus found me. 17-year-old junior in high school, he found me. Has it dawned on you lately that you didn't find Jesus, that Jesus found you? The love of God. 
You had that much value that God came seeking after you. And he came after you and you were the object of his affection. And God's even pursuing you right now. Some of you in this room, you're like, man, I am running hard from this place. Like if this guy keeps talking about Jesus and his love, I'm going to have to make a a decision about what I think about that. And I just want to tell you today, God's going to keep chasing you because he loves you. He loves you. He wants you. He doesn't despise you. He's not a fault finder. He's just a finder. And he finds us and he changes us. But here's the other thing I learned when I read this story. As believers, we're glad to be found, but we often become forgetters. You see, there's something that happens to us. We meet Christ, we get baptized, we start living out our faith, we start enjoying this amazing relationship with God, and then somehow we get this kind of spiritual amnesia that if we're not careful, the longer we follow him, we forget that he found us. I want you in your mind right now, go back to the point, the day when you met Jesus Christ as your Savior. Go back to that point. Go back. Go back. You remember what you felt? There's not one thing I can do to be right with God. But Jesus found me. You see, we love the idea that I've been found. But if we're not careful, we will forget. And you know what happens when we forget? When we forget long enough, eventually we will become fault finders. Right? We start judging everything because we forget what it meant to be found. You see, I've never gotten over the fact that I was lost and I was found. We start getting bothered by the processes of things in the church instead of being passionate about the burden that we should have for people. Man, it's awesome to remember that you were found. So I want to give you three things because sometimes people say, well, man, that's a great word. Like, I'm inspired by that, but what can I do? I want to tell you as a church what we can do to share good news now. The first one is this. Write it down if you got a pen. You need to develop your gospel story. What is your gospel story? Everybody here, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a gospel story You have a story of I was lost and now I'm found, right? So my gospel story includes what I was like before I met Christ. My gospel story includes how I met Christ. What happened? When did it happen? What was it like? And then my story includes how did my life change? And I want to tell you, I'm more excited about telling you how my life changed because of Jesus than what my life was like before Jesus. I was boring before Jesus. You say, well, you're boring now, okay? I was way boring before Jesus. I was way conflicted before Jesus. Develop your gospel story. Everybody in here, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be ready. The the Bible tells us in the New Testament, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. You know why some of you are struggling spiritually? Because you've forgotten your gospel story. Go back. Go back. Wasn't it the greatest feeling in the world the day you met Jesus and for the first time you knew what true forgiveness felt like? Your heart was set free. 
Develop your gospel story. The second one is this. Share your story with someone else. It's not enough just to develop the story. Like, okay, I'm, I'm, I know what my life was like before Christ. I remember when I gave my life to Christ. Now, now I've got I've to do Here's what you've got to do. Then you've got to make a decision that will transform your spiritual growth. And here's what you've got to do. Decide to share your story with someone else. Right now, in your mind, I want you to think of one person that needs to hear good news about Jesus Christ. Just one person. Just one. Just one. Just one. Who is that person? Start praying for them. Start asking God, God, would you give me a heart for this person like you have for this person? Share your story with someone else. I'm going to throw out a challenge. Both of our campuses, I want you to tune in to what I'm about to tell you, okay? Because listen, we will put our Mexican food dinner on Facebook, right? Like, hey, I'm eating at El Chorraro's. Look at these, you know? And hey, little fitas, you know? And all of a sudden, we put everything out there. Look, I stubbed my toe last week. We put everything. I want you to go on Facebook, and I want you to share your story on a Facebook video, and I want you to hashtag it with this. Hashtag, this is my story. Ah, I see what you did, Pastor Sean. Kind of flipping off the old hymn thing a little bit of this is my story. Okay, I'm not asking you to sing a hymn. I'm asking you to share your story. In fact, I'm going to double dog dare you with a cherry on top to go to social media because we all know how much you love your kids' t-ball game and I love your kids' t-ball game too. And I know how much you love the ice cream that you got at Cold Stone. I get that. But what would happen if 2,000 people today got online and just shared their gospel story of how Jesus Christ changed their life? Here's what's going to happen. Same thing that happened to me. I did this back at Easter. I started having friends from 1988 find me on Facebook and say, hey, can you talk to me more about that story? Because I saw that happen in your life when you were 17, and you're like 40-something now, and it's still working for you. That must be real. And I get to say, yes, it is. And it's getting better every single day. This is my story. Hashtag. Everyone say it. Hashtag. This is my story. Hashtag. This is my story. What's the hashtag? No, not your mama's story. Hashtag, this is my story. Okay? I want you to go do that because what God will do will transform lives all over. Not South Atlanta. You're going to be shocked. There's going to be people give their life to Jesus because they're going to hear your testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Share your gospel story with someone else. And then the third one, it's real simple. Invite people to come and hear God's story. There was a man that I met years ago. His name is Mark Cahill. He actually lives here in Georgia, and he wrote a book called, um, I can't even remember the name of the book. It's about people dying and going to heaven, and basically he, he had this premise. He said, if you want your friends to go to heaven, invite them to go there. If you don't want your friends to go to heaven, don't invite them. <laughs> I was like, sounds like simple to me. But here's what, it, here's what it really comes down to. Do you love people enough that you pursue them like God pursues them? invite someone to come and hear God's story. It doesn't have to be. It could be at a small group. It could be at a coffee shop. It could be just about anywhere. And here's how I want us to close today. You see, we place value on something based on who is looking for it. 
Let me give you an example. If all of a sudden the doors of this worship center opened and a detail came in of, of, uh, of secret agents and whatever, and, and there was that, like, the president of the United States came up on stage and he said, listen, um, I have seemed to have lost something and I need you guys to help me find it. Whether you agree with our president, don't agree with our president, just the authority of who was looking for it, you would get excited and you'd say, yeah, man, we're going to go look for it. Or if your favorite actor, your favorite music artist, like if, depending on who is looking for it, you're going to get involved in the search, right? Makes total sense. The Bible, there's a shepherd, there's a woman who's a bride, and there's a father. They're, they're looking for something. The who in the story, we place value on the something based on who is looking for it. But let me say this. This is more profound. We also place value on something based on the price we're willing to pay to get it back. I don't know about you, I've lost my iPad before, or my computer, or my cell phone. I would give both kidneys to get that thing back, right? Like, I, I, I know this would freak some parents out, but can you imagine, like, just for just this one second, like, you, you go to tuck your child in at night and your child is missing from your house. How much would you pay to get your child back? We place value on who's looking for it. We even place greater value on the price that someone's willing to pay to get it back. So I don't know who this is for today, but I want to tell you this statement. The cross is the definitive answer to your value in this world. God paid a very disproportionate price to have you and me back. You want to know what God's like? He's like a shepherd who's full of honor, who loses one and says, I would never let just that one leave. That one matters. It's like a wife that says, this person married me. They gave me these 10 coins and, and I belong to that person. I must find this coin. And then that father, that father that comes running shamefully across the field and says, I love you. You're mine, you're mine, you're mine. The cross is the definitive answer to your value in this world. Let's pray together.